Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we are going to be diving into episodes 364 through 366, which will cover manga chapters 468 through 471. And as we head into the final stretch of the Thriller Bark arc, always hard to say that, the toughest challenges still remain in Oars and Moria. So synopsis, Dr. Hogback, the last of Moria's phantoms, needs to be dealt with by Chopper and Robin. Nami also finally regains consciousness just in time to get out of the clutches of Absalom. And thanks to well-timed help from Lola of all people, they managed to also get and finish him off. With the phantoms defeated, the Straw Hats now need to turn their attention to figuring how to stop the unstoppable oars. Alrighty, so differences. Uh, There are a few of them in this set of episodes. So first off, we see sort of this nightmare that Perona has about her defeat to Usopp just before regaining consciousness. And in the anime, we actually get to see all that stuff that she's scared of, like the cockroaches and whatnot, and Usopp being all menacing. But in the manga, she just kind of wakes up screaming, and this the stuff that we see in the anime is not actually shown anywhere, even in like sort of a thought bubble or anything like that. Um, we also have to kind of sit through the shower peeping scene again from Absalom's perspective. When Lola tells... Uh, him that Nami is a man he kind of like recalls like is that true (laughs) but yeah in the in the manga this never happens either so I don't know it's just it is what it is I I don't really like it but anyways um, next we also get to see a fantasy idealized version of how Absalom viewed Nami during the thunder charge attack as he from his perspective he saw it as sort of like an electric kiss that knocked him out because it was so amazing however in the manga none of that happens he sort of he mentions it about how that kiss was electric but we don't actually get to see that sort of that fantasy idealized version and then lastly after the nami and absalom fight we see some extra scenes of luffy chasing moria through the forest now this takes up a good portion of one of the episodes But in the manga, it just goes straight to the moment the Straw Hats wake back up, determined as ever to take down oars. And so, yeah, this was definitely an effort to stretch the episodes out longer, as well as to time it so that it ends on that cliffhanger of them all waking back up. Alrighty, so let's get into my thoughts. So picking up from where we left off, Sindri is having trouble moving and following orders now. And now last podcast, I mentioned that there may be some hint that there's still a bit of the real Sindri possibly left, even though her soul should be gone and replaced by the random shadow woman's shadow. Um, However, Chopper and Robin start to theorize that maybe the physical body itself may still have some residual traces of the original person in there, kind of like a fingerprint almost. At least that's how I imagine it. And again, that is incredibly interesting. That's never really followed up on as far as I know, in terms of like how souls in One Piece work. Now, there is a little bit more to how souls work much, much later on, but I'm not really going to talk about that because it's kind of irrelevant to this, and also it's a major spoiler, so I'm not really going to go too far into it. But yeah, it is interesting, the questions that that this whole conversation around souls and shadows kind of bring up. But it's never really addressed or fleshed out any any more beyond what's actually mentioned in this particular arc. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe it might be addressed later on. It's not like it, I need it to, but 
it does it, it is kind of a big like overall like n- very nebulous thing in one piece that's kind of just brushed aside <laughs> um but anyways hogback tries to run as chopper grabs him and he makes a point to call out chopper that he's siding with a bunch of corpses calling him a hypocrite since chopper's not even human himself but chopper says that but chopper says that they would all follow luffy even though they are all sort of monsters and weirdos and yeah, the crew is full of weirdos, including himself, who he refers to as a monster, calling out two points here. The first, again, this further acknowledges Chopper's own personal character arc of getting over the label of being called a monster and growing up that way until he met the Straw Hats. He's always found that who he is as sort of a monster is something to be ashamed of, but between Ennius Lobby, where he was willing to sacrifice himself and turn himself into a literal monster with the triple rumble balls and you can you can now see he's slowly becoming more comfortable with referring to himself as a monster because a he now has a family that is full of weirdos and he sees that it's not such a bad thing to be different and b that if it's in the service of his captain and his nakama he would gladly become a monster no matter what the outside world thinks of him because he now has that support and love from his family And I love seeing this slow character development taking place over the course of these fights, especially throughout these, you know, several arcs of ever since Chopper joined. Because you know it's such a big thing, especially when you see his past, how being labeled a monster really, really hurt him. And it's something that he was always ashamed of. And I love seeing how he's sort of kind of starting to embrace that a little bit more. The other thing I wanted to point out is how Chopper talks about How the Straw Hats are strong because they do accept each other, even with this sort of eclectic collection of weirdos, in contrast to how Hogback uses things and people and not get his hands dirty. It's obviously reflective of the theme surrounding the entire crew Moria himself has sort of put together, as he's mentioned in the past, that the fact that the other two Phantoms all utilize other things and people to do their fighting right down to their abilities. I mean, Moria and Perona's Devil Fruit powers utilize generating clones and summons to do their fighting for them, while Absalom's whole thing is to go invisible and run away and let his general zombies take care of everything. This entire crew works off of not getting their hands dirty and just letting subservient things just do their work for them, while the Straw Hats are the complete opposite. They will get right into the weeds and... If it means saving their their nakama, they will they will do anything and everything to do that. And it's just this sort of contrast of both crews as well as both Mori and Luffy's philosophies, as we've mentioned in the past. Now, one thing you're going to start to notice going forward, and, and like I mentioned all the way back in the beginning of the arc, we get to see some more teamwork and combo moves. And here we sort of start to really ramp up towards that as we see Robin and Chopper combine together to finish off Hogback with the Robbie Cho suplex, but before they can actually land the finisher, or starts his rampage of taking down the Straw Hats, and in the commotion, Hogback is trapped under some rubble, and in an extremely satisfying turn of events, Sindri's body won't move to help Hogback, even though he's ordering her, and in a final act of defiance, Sindri looks up at Chopper and Robin, and genuinely smiles as her old self, as Victoria Sindri, Regaining some of her humanity back, even if it was momentarily letting Hogback get squashed by oars. This was definitely something that made me happy for Sindri, who finally can rest easy. 
Now, obviously, I, this could have been set up a little bit better. I didn't quite get as attached to Sindri's whole situation as much as I may have been for other characters, but it was still a very satisfying moment. With all the battles concluded more or less, Ors is now rampaging around the island searching for the Straw Hats, and I love seeing all their reactions, especially how excited Zoro is. Now this is, you know, this is about to get really interesting as we're about to see the Straw Hats in a kind of battle that we've yet to see them in, where they all need to actually band together to take down one huge enemy. You know, up until now, it's pretty much been the Straw Hats get separated, they all take on 1v1s or 2v2s or 2v1 fights, and it's a very small scale, but it's rare, very rare that we see like a huge group of the Strong Hats work together to take down one obstacle or one enemy. And I love seeing the Strong Hats not only together, but sort of bantering together, working together. And yeah, seeing them fight together is also really fun too. You know, how I, you know, I mentioned that Robin is now calling her crew by their real names. Well, in the beginning of episode 365, I think one of the greatest and cutest things ever happens in regards to this. As Robin assesses the situation, once they all start to regroup, thanks to the commotion of Orth, and she realizes that they still need to rescue Nami, she refers to Nami as Nami-chan, which is so sweet and really cute. And chan is sort of the suffix that in Japanese that you give to sort of like a cute little girl um, or somebody you feel really endearing to. I mean, you can even use chan for little boys as well or even older boys. Um, but it's more out of sort of a endearing affectionate uh, quality if you're using it on a guy. <laughs> but yeah, it's really it's really cute to see Robin that comfortable now. And especially Robin being nine years older than her, it is sort of like a big sister uh, dynamic to her as the only two female members. And I love that they've become that close. It's really fun to see and, and really sweet. Another thing I wanted to mention is I know Oda has a very good reason for keeping Sanji's poster ambiguous to the rest of the world. But I also feel like Oda did that so he could milk the comedic hell out of how ridiculous Sanji's wanted poster is. And... <laughs> And yeah, during that scene, Usopp smartly deduces that just, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the last podcast, that most people won't recognize Sanji and maybe Ors won't go after him. But I think we all already knew that this, since this was Luffy's shadow we're dealing with, sure enough, he thinks Sanji looks exactly like him, which obviously Sanji takes great offense to because it looks nothing like him. But yeah, and, and you know, I I love those sort of little moments. It's just always so fun. But yeah, much of this episode, the plot really doesn't progress very much. It, it's mostly just Luffy and Moria running around and Sanji dodging oars. It's not till the second half of this episode things actually start progressing again as Sanji, you know, starts to get his ass handed to him. But just as Sanji is about to be killed, Usopp instinctively shoots oars to save him, but then immediately apologizes for it like he always does. Zoro, on the other hand goes into his usual protector mode and has Frankie draw its attention away from Usopp, Chopper, and Robin so that he can be the target. But even Zoro is no match for Oars and his lethal combination of ridiculous speed and crazy strength. At this point, it's getting pretty dire as they're all throwing everything they got at Oars and nothing is working. Even salt is no use, or at least that much salt or that little of salt is no use. And with episode 365 ending on a crazy cliffhanger, Oars has downed all the straw hats. 
Now, despite how intimidating Ors is and how dangerous he is, the fun thing about him is that even though he's slowly being drained of Luffy's personality and slowly becoming Moria's slave, there's still plenty of Luffy still in him. And the part that always makes me chuckle a bit is when he's doing a rundown of which straw hats he's taken down so far. And he first just, like, Luffy doesn't realize that Usopp is Soge King, but then goes on to mention that he still needs to find the cool hero. <laughs> and also when Mayumi Tanaka plays Oars, it just sounds like she's doing her best drunk voice. <laughs> and I think it's just, there's something really funny about seeing Luffy as a villain, more or less. One thing I did find strange, though, is Moria actually has Luffy as one of the targets for Oars. But it's like, if Oars kills Luffy, the shadow just disappears, which seems odd. And Oars be just becomes a husk again. Unless he's confident that no matter what Oars does, he's still not going to be able to kill Luffy, but at least incapacitate him. But maybe, maybe Moria hasn't completely underestimated Luffy's toughness or durability, at least. But it seems like a big gamble, I feel like, to do that. And something I noticed that on upon this particular rewatch and reread especially, uh, in the manga, when Perona wakes up and Oars punches through the side of the mansion, the fist looks a lot like how it was framed when Luffy used Gear 3rd for the first time and punched Luchi through through the, the NES lobby tower with uh, the gigant pistol. And I'm not sure if there is anything to this, but maybe it's to plant in our mind that Oars' attacks are basically Luffy and Gear 3rd all the time, subtly adding to our subconscious that, that the threat that Oars actually poses to everyone because, yeah, Luffy is strong, but the fact that he can basically use Gear 3rd moves all the time with the speed is pretty crazy when you think about it. As Oars is searching for Nami, we finally get back to see Nami finally regaining her consciousness just in time to avoid Absalom's kisses and for Lola to come crashing down as well. And this scene takes a turn for the really sweet and unexpected as we initially think Lola has misinterpreted the situation and become angry at Nami once again. But in reality, L Lola is here to save Nami. And honestly, this scene becomes that much more impactful and carries far more weight when you know how the Lola Nami friendship develops. And I like this scene when it first played out, but I love it even more knowing what I know now about the rest of the story and the person Lola's shadow actually belongs to. It's a really great moment, and you really start to fall in love with Lola as much as Nami has. Now, Absalom eventually gets frustrated with Lola's meddling and just blasts her with, this rem with his remaining arm bazooka, and this really pisses off Nami. And you, you really see that sort of that change too. Because Nami was just ready to run and let Lola deal with Absalom. But as soon as Absalom hurts Lola, Nami is pissed. And what started off as a misunderstanding has blossomed into a really sweet friendship. And now that person has not only sacrificed herself for Nami over a lie that Nami told but that the person Lola supposedly loved would do something like that. I think, it, I think, yeah, it really angers Nami, especially when people that she cares about are hurt, obviously. And as well, because Nami deceived Lola, and now Lola has gotten hurt because of that deception. And I think Nami also feels bad about that as well. And so, yeah, Nami is definitely on a warpath for 
Absalom here. And the other thing too is what's more impressive about Nami's decision to stay and fight is that she actually tells herself that none of her attacks are going to work. She doesn't know that Sanji's already beat the crap out of Absalom and that there's a chance that she will lose, but it doesn't matter anymore. Like she is willing to lay down her life for Lola's sacrifice. And I think that says a lot about Nami's character. But luckily for her, Nami does finish off Absalom with a new technique called Thunder Charge Swing Arm. And the lightning this time actually works, which surprises Nami. But again, the minister and we, the viewer, know that it's, a, it's not a miracle that, that Nami won. It was the fact that it was a miracle that Absalom was even standing to begin with after the beating he took from Sanji earlier. Afterwards, Nami does come clean and feels bad about what she, the lie that she told to Lola. And Lola, turns out, she knew the truth the whole time and just wanted to save her friend. And it just re- reaffirms that Nami is her friend. And I'm not sure why, but I also love that in the manga, Oda decided to title this chapter, chapter 471, My Friend in English and in all caps, which is a very... Because I, I, I loved it when Lola says it, especially the voice actress that plays Lola, how she says, my friend. <laughs> it's just really sweet. And I love that it's an emphasis and Oda actually chose to title that chapter that. Lastly, we get an awesome moment where the Straw Hats all casually get back up as if nothing happened and having conversations about what Orz's name was set to the epic track titled Cornered or Oitsumerareta which is the same one from the Arlong Park walk and pretty much every other epic moment in One Piece. And not only are they all back, and now they're all ready to go with 100% strength with Zoro throwing on his bandana, Sanji lighting a cigarette, Chopper and Heavy Point. You know, Frankie now has this massive concrete nunchuck built, as well as Robin and Usopp kind of standing fiercely. They don't, they don't have their own things, but, you know, they're all set for round two. And this moment is done pretty well in the anime, but it just looks so much cooler in the manga, I feel like, for me, as it's this two-page spread with the top third of the pages with Orr's eyes wide staring down at them. And with the bottom two-thirds, it's a group shot of the crew creating kind of like a stare-down type of moment. And the anime tries to do a, you know their own spin on it where they flash onto each like a close-up of each of the straw hats and then oars. And then you do get a wide shot. But I don't know. There's just something about being able to see both at the same time. I feel like they could have done this in the anime. They could have just split the screen and just put that uh, image onto the screen, at least maybe for like a few seconds, and just put it, set it to that, like, you know, the iconic dong and sort of that screen um, snap zoom. But yeah, they didn't. they didn't choose to do that. But... It still works. I mean, the music and the voice acting really elevate this as well. So you kind of get the best of both worlds if you view and read both. Now, this is where this set of episodes ends. But I feel like this is where the arc really starts to become great. See, up until now, the arc has been enjoyable. And even for someone that likes Thriller Bark like myself, as much as I do, I can admit that the story drags a bit. And I'm not just talking about the anime's awful pacing, but even Oda's writing here has some uneven pacing where some moments feel like they go on or they go by way too fast, like Zoro and Yu must fight. But other things like Absalom and his whole deal with Nami and Sanji just seem to take so much time 
for being the least interesting thing about this portion of the story, as well as how Luffy and Moria are just kind of wasting time. Like, they're not doing anything. And even in the manga, yeah, they're kind of bantering and Luffy's kind of testing Moria's abilities, but really nothing progresses. Like, I wouldn't mind Luffy and Moria being at a stalemate so much if there was a bit more going on with them rather than literally they're just waiting, stalling time. I get that it's a common story trope to save the main characters for the big final fight, but there still needs to be some stakes as well as a give and take in their conflict leading up to it. Like, the crazy thing is Oda handled this so well in just the previous arc in NES Lobby. He had Luffy and Luchi fight to a standstill for a, quite a while, but, you know, while everyone else did their thing, but he made it interesting by having that fight consist of some push and pull in seeing their fight go back and forth. The other common technique he, you know, Oda usually uses is he just takes Luffy out of the equation altogether. Like, he, until... Until Oda is ready for him, just like uh, in Arlong Park or Little Garden or Arabasta, just for example, like in all of those, Luffy is drowning in Arlong Park. Little Garden, Luffy is stuck under the big skull. In Arabasta, he is recovering from his wound. And Luffy is just gone until the story requires him to come back. And usually those make for some great moments too when he actually does come back but yeah it's it's just the whole thing with Luffy and Moria is just really poorly handled I feel like obviously the other thing is that Moria himself is just not that interesting to me personally but more importantly he just hasn't been built up very much you see unlike previous villains that Oda developed so well we just don't hate Moria as the main villain of the arc he hasn't done anything and by hate, I'm not talking about whether we like him as a character or not, which again, I don't, but I'm talking more about the fact that we don't have a deep emotional feeling towards him. Like, we don't, we don't want him, see, we're not as invested in seeing him defeated because he hasn't really done anything. Like I've mentioned on numerous occasions in the past, you know, we just don't have that much of an investment in seeing Moria beaten like past villains like Luchi or Spandam, Crocodile or NL or Arlong. Or even some of the earlier villains like Buggy or Don Krieg. Each of those guys, we wanted them beat up so badly. Like we wanted to get their, you know, have their asses beat down by Luffy towards the third act of their respective arcs. But with Moria, I almost feel nothing but just kind of mild annoyance with him. More so than a deeper hatred towards him and wanting to see his, get his just desserts. It's just that feeling isn't there because Moria hasn't really done much and he's not really built up. But yeah, yeah, there's just no, there's not really much emotional connection between Moria and the heroes as well. I mean, sure, he's stolen their shadows, but beyond that, what has he really done? Again, he's just more annoying than anything. Usually the villain has done something to one of our heroes or one of our heroes supporting cast friends. I mean, sure, he stole Brooke's shadow, but I mean, he's already got it back. And he hasn't really caused all that much pain or hardship for anyone. Like, Crocodile, like, made the not only Vivi, but everyone in Alabasta, like, a living hell. Or Luchi. I mean, Luchi is the embodiment of, basically, Robin's despair and pain. Well, actually, Spandam is. But, yeah, you get my point, though. Both of them, you wanted to see them beat down. But you just don't really, or at least me personally, I don't really get that with Moria. 
But anyways, all this to say that I'm glad we've gotten past this slow portion of the arc and finally onto the good parts because from here on out, we get to see some really cool stuff to close out the arc beginning with the next episode. So yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates of when I post new episodes. And yeah, I've also started streaming on Twitch for a little bit. So if you want to come see me play games or chat, come visit twitch.tv slash sunny underscore underscore go. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. No spoiler section this episode. So yeah, stay safe out there and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye.